When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news, you found the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. Grant is the founder of Dorhout Retirement Services, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for nearly 20 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. It's time for the Retirement Blueprint. And now, here are your hosts, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. Good morning. Thank you so much. Welcome to the Retirement Blueprint, the show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. On today's show, we're going to be talking about America hitting peak 65 in 2024. What to know if that is you. Also, six ways to diversify your portfolio, the best ways to earn passive income, and finally, common post-retirement risk that you should know. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, you know I'm always here just to ask the questions for you. But the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Grant Dorhout, founder and wealth advisor of Dorhout Retirement Services right here in Omaha. Hey, Grant, how are you doing this Saturday morning? You know, I'm going to say, just like I said to you earlier before we got on the air here, I'm better than I deserve. It's a <laughs> wonderful day, loving this weather. It helps when you see this much sunshine, helps the mood for sure. Spring is upon us, and we sure are glad for that. Grant, there are a lot of things that we've got on our docket to talk about on today's show, but the first one I want to bring up is America is hitting peak 65 in 2024. Mm-hmm. That is a record yeah. number of boomers that are reaching retirement age. So if boomers are listening to us right now, maybe they're not retired yet they've reached 65 or they've reached you know their early 60s they're thinking about retirement let's talk about the planning for retirement now i know that sometimes you get people Mm -hmm. coming to you and they say grant i know it's march but i want to retire in september that's a little too soon when should people really (laughs) begin to think about retirement planning and is it ever really too late to do something no, it's not. Not ever too late. And and if someone comes to me in March and says, I want to retire in September, we might have to fast track a few things. But ultimately, we are equipped to do that with putting together the, the full planning that we're going to do. It might take that full six months to get every single piece put together, depending on what type of planning someone decides on. But we can do that. I would suggest, like, if someone's out there listening and they're 55 years old or 58 years old, 59, 60 years old, if they're looking at even a full retirement age of 67 years old, start planning now. Start getting things set up. I have a relatively new client that she just came to me here a couple months ago, and we've been walking her through this process to get this complete plan put together. You know, we're nearing the end of what we're going to have, but her goal was to retire at 65. She's 55 right now. Uh, we have plenty of time. We have a lot of leeway when we have a 10-year span, but we can definitely do it in a six-month span. I'd prefer to do it longer. I did have someone just this past week bring up to me, I was doing a, a public presentations, and someone had mentioned, well, 65, that she had been hearing 67, because she was she was crossing up the difference between when you're when you're eligible to go on Medicare at 65 versus the full retirement age of Social Security. So just a minor difference there. Yeah, and as far as stats go, Grant, and at this point in time, I'm reading that something like 11,000 people a day are going to be turning 65 mm-hmm. here in 2024. So if someone's yep. listening to the program today and they're thinking about retiring, let's say that it's going to be anywhere from two to five years from right now, where should they begin to figure out if they can retire? I would imagine it would be to take stock of how much money that you have, but also you've got to figure out what it costs to be you in retirement. 
I'm going to actually run it backwards from that, Jeff. I had this conversation again in this public presentation this past week. We were discussing the differences in, in how you can construct a retirement plan. I had a gentleman a couple of weeks ago say, well, if I get to X amount of million dollars, I'm done. I'm good to go then. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. How do you know? Because I have to know what your lifestyle is to be able to say that. If I look at my kids, for instance, my son Hunter, he might only need a few hundred thousand dollars because that kid can make a dollar last longer than anyone I know. <laughs> On the flip side, my daughter at this point, present stage, if she were to have to construct her retirement budget, she's going to need several million dollars. So looking at it, how are you going to live and what is your expenditure? And what are your reliable income sources? It's nothing more than a math problem at that point. Okay, if I need $10,000 a month, I'm just using a, a generic example here. If I need $10,000 a month for a client and they, they have social security that equals $5,000 a month between the two of them, well, I know the retirement portfolio needs to make up for $5,000 per month. If it's 5,000 a month, 60,000 per year, the full $10,000 per month, I'm gonna have to inflate that at approximately 2.5% per year until they're age 100. If I do that and I inflate their social security at 1.5% all the way to age 100, assuming that they both live to that age, if I look at those numbers and I determine, okay, well, in order to construct their reliable income stream of 60,000 per month plus the inflationary increases we have to have, well, if I say, okay, I need to run it backwards, they need $2.2 million or $1.2 million or $3.2 million. And if they're not at that number, then we figure out, okay, what do we do to get to that number and how long is it going to take? It's much more complicated than just, hey, uh, I have $2 million, I'm going to retire, and I think now's the time. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> we have to do a lot more homework to make sure that the numbers add up so you don't have a surprise when you're in your mid-70s or mid-80s. And most people, I think, bring you money that has been in a 401k, maybe it's in an IRA, and you've got to invest that money. I mean, if you need $2 million for your retirement, they may have a million dollars, but you've got to grow it to $2 million. And that's where growth and liquidity and security and cash flow and all that sort of thing comes in. So how do you take a million dollars and make it into $2 million over a period of time? I would imagine that it's not just one investment. It's not just stocks and bonds. No, definitely not. If you're only looking at stocks and bonds. I, I think that's a dangerous game that you're playing, although it can be done. I just think it's taking on more risks than you need to. If you have someone that that's looking to be efficiently investing, we're going to look at more of our stock portfolios, yes, but we're also going to look at exchange-traded fund portfolios. We're going to utilize certain structured notes in, in appropriate situations. You may even utilize an annuity for a certain portion of it, all the while looking at each of these investments to satisfy a very specific purpose in terms of your retirement. Some of your money is going to be geared toward growth. Some of your money is going to be geared toward protection. And some of your money is going to be geared toward income. And looking at it and separating it out, and I've said this many, many times, allowing assets to do what they are intended to do is going to give you the highest probability of success in fully funding your retirement goal, which is making sure that you can live the lifestyle that you want all the way through your retirement, whether it's taking care of grandkids and traveling, or if it's just doing anything with golf or fishing, or I have plenty of clients that do all of these things. And fully funding that goal is going to be 
it's not, I'm not going to say it's simple, but it becomes a lot easier to achieve if you're looking at it in this way. I'm going to allow this asset to do this because it's really what it was built for, and I'm not going to expect it to do anything different. When you construct it that way, the puzzle pieces really start fitting together. And I said this recently at one of these public presentations, I firmly believe this. If we get our income plan and our tax plan really working together and working in conjunction, the investments that we have to have in the market, not that they fall into place, but it becomes much more easy to identify them. And then we have clients that achieve that piece in retirement. They get a lot more confidence in the retirement that we built for them. And you use the analogy of a puzzle, Grant, and I like that too. I think of a jigsaw puzzle that has so many different pieces to it. And when it comes to retirement planning, you talked about different investments doing different things for you. And that makes me think about these advisors that sometimes you'll hear on the radio. They have one thing that they're going to be selling to you, and they're claiming that that one thing is going to solve all of your problems. That is a very common thing. And unfortunately, there are advisors out there that you may hear of who really are not acting in the fiduciary way whatsoever. No. I know that there's people that are doing other dinner seminars, public presentations and everything. And I'm sure people that are listening to this radio show have heard ones where there's a certain gentleman that he'll talk about a certain particular product that you need to go purchase from him. And he's going to tout this really big bonus. You're going to hear 15 or 20 or 25 or 30 percent bonuses that you're going to hear at specific times. I don't really like how this is presented because people get excited about that. They think, well, if I put $300,000 in this and I get a 25% bonus. I get $75,000 cash right now. You got to read the fine print. That's not really the way that those products work. When you get a massive bonus like that, you have to know you are tied to a time commitment, not only a time commitment for all of the money that's in there, but also all of that bonus money, you may have to take that over a much longer period of time than you originally thought. That doesn't make that particular product bad, but just the presentation and the analogy of it, I'm not a big fan of that because it, it gets people excited and a lot of people like bonuses. That's why they're presented that way. But I'm not so excited about the bonus unless it's going to fit in with, okay, what's the overarching goal? It's not just to get a 15 or a 30% bonus. It's to create something out of that bonus. And what is it? Is it to create wealth for our kids? Is it to create income? Because that's really what that bonus is going to represent is money that's going to be used in a death benefit or it's money that you're going to have to take in the form of I mean, it's not a pension, but it's, it looks like a pension payment, and you're going to take those monies over the rest of your life. If that's what your stated goal is, that could be the appropriate product. But if you're just looking for making money, that type of product isn't going to do it for you. Yeah, and unfortunately, that is all too common in our industry is that you will hear people promising things that you know that are not true. And that bonus sort of thing, I've heard somebody say, we're going to make you a millionaire in 20 minutes, and they're counting on that bonus in order to be able to do that. It just isn't mm -hmm. true, and unfortunately, that is all too common in our industry. We're talking with Grant Dorhout here of Dorhout Retirement Services, and we are talking about peak 65 record numbers of boomers are reaching retirement age this year, and it's something mm -hmm. like 4.1 million Americans are poised to turn 65 this year and every year through 2027, so certainly there are a yeah. lot of you out there. I can say this, that if you're thinking about retirement right now and you're looking for an advisor who's not in it just just to sell you stock bond portfolio. There are plenty of advisors out there who can do that. If you're looking for somebody who wants to just sell you an annuity and make promises to you that are not true, there are a lot of 
advisors out there who can do that. But if you're looking for a financial advisor who really wants to get to know you, who wants to do what's in your best interest, who wants to listen to you to really help you understand what it costs to be you in retirement, I've got some good news for you. You're listening to the person who can do that for you. Grant Dorhout at Dorhout Retirement Services is offering a no-cost, no-obligation, no-judgment, peace-in-retirement blueprint. Now, what is that? It's an opportunity for you to sit down with Grant, ask your particular questions, get the answers that you need to put you on a path towards a confident retirement. Retirement planning is not that easy. If it were that easy, everybody could do it and everybody would be completely successful. But Grant at Dorhout Retirement Services has been doing this for a number of years and certainly he wants to help you. Now, the other thing I want to point out is that the person that you're hearing on the radio program today is the person that you will be speaking with when you call and come in. You won't be speaking with somebody else in the office who doesn't know you. Grant wants to get to know you, what your needs, your wants, your goals, your wishes, and desires are. So pick up that phone right now. Make that telephone call. I know it is the weekend, but that's no problem at all. You can make that call today. That number, 402-281-0750. 402-281-0750. Make that call today. Get on the calendar. You're not going to have to wait weeks to talk to Grant. He can probably see you within a week or two. 402-281-0750. You can also request your plan online at DorhoutRetirementServices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T, RetirementServices.com. Want more strategies to support the quality of life you want for 30 plus years? Stick around. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout in just a moment. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost, no-obligation Dorhout Retirement Roadmap, call 402-281-0750 or request it online at dorhoutretirementservices.com. Now, back to more of Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shade. We so much appreciate you joining us here for the Retirement Blueprint on News Talk 1290 Coil with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services. My name is Jeff Shade, and of course, we're here for you every week for your fiscal fitness and your financial education. The theme of our show today is Peak 65. We're talking about all the baby boomers that are reaching 65 years of age in record numbers this year, and they'll do that some 4.1 million boomers reaching 65 by the year 2027. So in the first part of the program, we talked about about what the beginning plan will look like, and that's taking stock of how much money you have and figuring out a plan to move forward to make that money last the rest of your life. In this segment, we're going to continue to talk about some of the challenges, and not the least challenge, Grant, is going to be health insurance. Now, when you reach 65, you can get Medicare, but let's say that you want to retire at 63. You want to retire before 65. I would imagine, Grant, that you have actually had to tackle this problem before for people. What to do about health insurance? Yeah, I've had a lot of people actually bring it up that, well, I have to work all the way to 65. I, I don't think I have to for money, but I have to do it for insurance. Or what right. if we have another situation that one spouse is 65, but their other spouse is maybe 60? Right. Well, what do you do between 60 and 65? There's a lot of different ways that you can tackle this, depending on what your affiliations are. I mean, there's different religious organizations that you can go through, certain Christian share organizations that mm-hmm. are out there that work well for those that that really understand the difference. It's not insurance. You're actually entering a different type of agreement. 
or you can enter the exchange and some people are going to say well i can't qualify for that that could be true but it also could not we actually have an affiliation i don't do it personally the under 65 health insurance but we have someone that we send this to that that's what their dedicated job and their purpose is to really deal with that part so yeah if you're under 65 and you think hey you know what i'm i'm 62 i'm 63 i'm 61 and i think i have enough money to retire but i don't know what to do about health insurance i would say get all of the information before you determine that you have to work until 65 you may not need to there might be a better route for you that you could get to your retirement journey quicker and and we can help with that we absolutely can help with that and grant you talked about some of those medical insurance sharing places uh, christian healthcare ministries is one and medishare is another they're not paying us to talk about them but they are out there and it's well worth investigating those and of course your local healthcare exchange too might be an option for you but at age 65 that is the magical age when you can get medicare so let's talk about that a little bit at 65 yep. there's a part of medicare that is automatic and that is part a right yeah, if you've worked any time in your life, in all likelihood, qualify for Medicare Part A. I've only seen it once or twice in 20 years where someone hasn't worked the required amount of time to, to get Part A, and they do that automatically. If you're going to go on Part B of Medicare, yeah, you're going to be in a little bit different situation where you're going to have to elect to go into it, and you'll do that once you fill out for your Social Security. If you don't want to go on Medicare Part B because you have really, really good health insurance at your work and you don't think that it, it makes sense to go on Part B or maybe you need the insurance at work for the spouse that's a little bit younger than you, that may be true. It may not be true. We go through this with people and we just let the numbers do the talking. We don't, I mean, there's not really a, a preference that we have, quite frankly. It's just, okay, which way is going to be the best way for each individual, not only from a monthly outflow from a premium standpoint, but what's your potential exposure for a medical claim that's out there? You know, every, everyone's going to be different for sure. You just got to run the numbers. And with Medicare Part A, that covers most hospital visits and a certain mm -hmm. amount of blood and so forth. And you talked about Medicare Part B. That covers medical services, including certain doctor's appointments and outpatient care and preventive yep. services. And for those who already receive health coverage through an employer, Medicare may be your secondary payer. But with Medicare Part B, that is something that you have to pay for. And I think currently it's around $174.50. But as your income goes up, certain tiers your uh, Medicare Part B payments go up as well, too. I think they call that IRMA. It's not a lady, but it is uh, something that dictates how much money that you're going to be paying in uh, Part mm -hmm. B premiums. But there's Part A, there's Part B. Then there are some other supplement plans. I understand that there's a Part G, which is sort of a, a Medigap policy. Yeah, yeah. I actually want to fill in one thing that you just said there about IRMA. When you start looking at, you know, making money, also taking money from your tax deferred investments can impact how much premium you'll pay on your Medicare Part B with IRMA. So keep that in mind. If you're doing any type of tax planning, doing Roth conversions, or if you're pulling money out to get in some other type of tax free investment, uh, whether it be a municipal bond or life insurance or anything, it doesn't really matter what it is. You have to be mindful of that IRMA limitation. But when you talk about Plan G, a lot of times people get confused with Medicare on parts and plans. Right, and when I you do talk too. About, yeah, it, yeah it, it's, it's really, really confusing. And if you look at Medicare, you're going to look at part 
A, B, C, and D. A right. is right. the hospital. B is your medical, which I like to think of B as anything that's outpatient or anytime you utilize a person. So those types of charges. Part C is advantage programs mm -hmm. in lieu of having part A and B of Medicare as along with a Medicare supplement. Uh, that you could do a Part C Medicare Advantage program, but you're not going to have Part A and B anymore paying for you. You're going to really rely only on the Advantage plan. And then Part D, that's the only letter that Medicare actually got right. That's for your drugs. That's for, for your prescription drug plan. So when you're talking about G, you're talking about a plan, plan G. G right. Right. It, that's a Medicare supplement or a Medigap policy that's going to cover the majority of the costs that Medicare leaves for you. You have to be aware of the Part B deductible that you'll be responsible for yet. But other than that, if Medicare pays, the supplement has to, regardless of which company you go with. And Grant, these are things that you help people with at uh, Doorhout Retirement Services, how to navigate through Medicare and all these parts and plans? Yeah, we do that for everyone. And if, if they have someone that's a dedicated Medicare specialist that they like and they want to continue working with that person, I have absolutely no problem with that. We have plenty of clients that say, you know what, I just want to go to one place for everything. Can you just handle my Medicare? And then we talk to those people uh, between October 15 and December 7 every year. We rerun their prescription drug plan, make sure that they're in the best plan for their particular prescriptions for the following year as well. And then come open enrollment period towards the end of the year, too, there are these Medicare Advantage plans you'll see advertised everywhere. And really, those are run by uh, private insurance companies, are they not? Yeah, yeah, they are. And actually, it's kind of funny that you bring up Advantage plans. My dad, he's 83 years old. Uh, he calls me each open enrollment period and he says, hey, I see this commercial. Uh, remind me again, as should I be looking at these Advantage programs? And then, then we just discuss it that, hey, with your particular situation, this could or, or could not make sense. But every, every open enrollment period, uh, my dad and I have a discussion about the, the same commercials that everyone sees from <laughs> all kinds of different places, whether it be Humana or, or WellCare or all kinds of different companies that are out there advertising them. But you're not alone when you're wondering, man, should I check into that? My dad does the exact same thing. Yeah, and with a plan G, that is the Medigap policy. It's easy to go to the Advantage plan, but to go the other way from an Advantage plan back to plan G for the first time may not be as easy. You may have to be underwritten for that. The bottom line is that Medicare can be a little bit confusing, but of course you can help people with that there at Dorhout Retirement Services. Talking with Grant Dorhout here of Dorhout Retirement Services, and we're talking about peak 65, all the folks turning 65 here, and they're about 4.1 million of those turning 65 every year until the year 2027. Let's talk about diversification. Grant, as we said, you're not a stock bond shop. You're not just an annuity shop. Diversification is very important in putting together a financial plan, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And diversification means something totally different to everyone. And it needs to mean something different to retirees versus someone like myself that's in his mid-40s. If you're looking at diversification for me right now, you're just making sure that we're managing risk, not having so much of your portfolio dedicated to one specific sector or one specific stock, making sure that you're, you're spread out and spreading that risk across a bunch of different avenues. And the reason that someone that's younger is going to want to do that with their stock portfolio is very simple if you look back to BP. 
You look at British Petroleum, everything was fine with that stock. A lot of retirees owned it because it was a great appreciating stock and it had a fabulous dividend that people were using as retirement income and something that people could not predict or control happened in the oil spill. And then all of a sudden you see the, the stock price plummet and you see them cancel the dividend. The two reasons people had it. That's why you don't want to be too heavy in any one individual stock. And here in Omaha, I see a lot of people that have a lot of Berkshire B. Mm -hmm. uh, some people that have Berkshire A. I have a lot of people that have a lot of Apple. And, and I just say, hey, you know what? I don't like having so top heavy, even though you might think Apple, there's nothing that's gonna happen to it. I wouldn't be so top heavy in any individual stock. You have to diversify more than what people think you need to. And then on the flip side, I've had people come into my office. I literally had this about five years ago, maybe six years ago, a gentleman and his wife came into my office and they, they came in with all of their statements and it was a stack. It was probably about eight inches thick. And I asked them what that was, and they said, that's our different statements. I said, oh, well, well, I didn't need that many different ones. I mean, I can just take the last quarter's statement. And they said, well, that is last quarter's. Ooh. And I asked them what, what, what they were talking about. They said, well, this is all of our different mutual funds. I said, okay, mm. how many do you have? They said, well, we have 47 different mutual fund Ooh. companies with all these different mutual funds. Mm. And I said, well, why, why would you do that? And they said, because we wanted to be diversified. That's a misconception as to, well, if I have a bunch of different things, I must be diversified. That's not necessarily true because in their scenario, they actually were very top heavy in certain areas of mutual funds and, and they didn't know that they really didn't have the diversification that they were looking for. And diversification in retirement is going to be a completely different way of looking at it than someone that's in their 40s. Yeah, it's not just the old 60-40 uh, stock bond split. Diversification no. really can spread your investments out to a number of different areas so that if one goes down, all the others don't go down. And when I think of diversification, Grant, I think uh, basically of the six places to put your money. And that would be, of course, stocks, bonds, but also cash, cash equivalents, things like money market accounts, also CDs. But I also think about real estate. There are insurance products. Mm -hmm. There are annuities. There are alternative investments as well, too. That is the true meaning of diversification. Can you be too diversified? Uh, that's an interesting question. Can you be too diversified? Well, it depends on what your goal is, I would say with that. You know, if you're looking to be diversified, I'm saying that you want exposure to different markets and different investments so that you don't have too much risk. If you're saying, well, hey, is there a way that I could be too diversified to where all of a sudden I have you know that law of diminishing returns. Yeah, it's possible because then if you have 47 different mutual funds from 47 different companies, well, yeah, I mean, that's a situation where their version of diversification, yes, it was too much, so then they didn't actually achieve what their goal was. I would say looking at utilizing certain aspects like ETFs, looking at stocks, but not having too much in any one individual stock, making sure you have enough cash, but not too much cash in your portfolio to cover your emergency funds, but not so much cash that you're not keeping up with inflation. You could use target retirement date funds if you're at an employer that that's your best option. But those types of ways is ways that you can get better diversification, even utilizing insurance products like 
annuities is important and appropriate in certain situations, but make sure that you're not ignoring global investing because certain times emerging or diversified markets are going to outperform certain sectors that we even have domestically here and, and, and making sure that you're mindful of those things. But again, not too top heavy on them. If you're too top heavy, like I think Europe's going to be great if the Ukraine-Russia war dies down or, or goes away. So I'm going to invest heavily in Europe. I would not suggest that. You have to have a balance that is designed to achieve a specific goal inside of your retirement plan, which I'm looking at just fully funding the goal of living the lifestyle you want all the way to age 100. That's the way we're going to get proper diversification is looking at that goal and then utilizing an investment to achieve that said goal. Talking with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services, we're talking about peak 65, all of you folks reaching age 65 this year. And Grant, before we continue, I want to take just a brief moment here to remind our listeners how they can have a conversation with you to ask their questions about turning 65 and really building a retirement portfolio that will last as long as you do. If you want answers, then request your no cost, no obligation, no judgment Dorhout Retirement Review. We call it the Retirement Blueprint by calling 402-281-0750. Now, we've opened the phone lines. You can do it right now if you like. 402-281-0750. Make that call. When you call today, even though it is the weekend, simply leave your name, your telephone number. Lisa will give you a call back in the next business day or two, get some basic information from you, and set you up with a conversation with Grant to create that path towards a confident retirement. Now, remember, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that, when addressed, may help improve the quality of life in your retirement that could last as long as 30 years. Once again, that telephone number to call for your no cost, no obligation, no judgment retirement review with Grant to get your questions answered, 402-281-0750. It's 402-281-0750. And by the way, we'll also send you out Grant's book, Modern Retirement Strategies, if you call that number today, 402-281-0750. You can also request your complimentary consultation online at doorhoutretirementservices.com. That's doorhoutretirementservices.com. Want more talk about sustaining your wealth and thriving in a retirement that could last 30 plus years? Stay tuned for more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout after this. Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good, because it's time for more Retirement Blueprint with your financial Sherpas, Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. Thank you so much for making us a part of your weekend. If you're just joining us, this is the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. I'm Jeff Shade, and we're discussing Peak 65 on today's show. All those folks turning 65, those baby boomers, if you will. And if you want to hear the show again, don't worry, we're also a podcast. Just go to wherever you get your podcasts, search for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout. You'll get this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards a successful retirement. Grant, let's continue our conversation here about building this retirement plan for those people turning 65 this year. And I've always heard this term about you should put your money to work for you, not you work for your money. And I think a lot of people have lazy dollars out there that they really need to whip into shape. So with that in mind, I want to talk about passive income. Are there really any real sources of passive income that you don't have to do anything? 
Well, yeah. I mean, if you think about it, dividend paying stocks. I mean, if I own Apple and it pays just say a 2% dividend and I have a million dollars in it, I know I'm going to make $20,000 on that unless they cancel the dividend. So that would be a scenario. I have to do nothing for Apple to be successful. Me buying my Apple watch or my Apple phone isn't going to do anything for the bottom line. For Apple, I'm going to buy those things because I want them, not because it's going to do anything for the dividend paying ability of that particular stock. So dividend paying stocks would be the first one that I would look at. I would say if you're going to look at a particular investment, a very simple rule is I wouldn't have more than 5% in any one thing. Going back to the last segment about diversification is, okay, yes, I might like the dividend, but I'm not going to put 50% of my wealth or 25% of my wealth in one particular thing just to achieve a particular passive income. So dividend paying stocks, you can also have dividend paying exchange traded funds that are out there as well, that it's going to generate a dividend typically every quarter. And maybe they're not going to pay dividend in certain quarters, but you're going to see it most of them where you can you can say, you know what, I'm going to buy this ETF and it's going to pay me back. It's going to give me cash. I like this type of investment that's just going to generate cash and disperse it to me so that I can determine whether or not I want to use it to reinvest or if I want to take that money and I want to spend it on something or, or just utilize it for income. And Grant, you talked about not always getting dividends. And I thought with a dividend paying stock that, uh, you know, you were always going to get something. But if I'm hearing you correctly, that they don't have to pay a dividend if they can't pay it. In what circumstances would you not get a dividend? BP, British Petroleum. I mean, if all of a sudden they have something massive happen where, okay, we have a, an oil spill. Well, if it has an oil spill and it completely plummets the stock and the profitability of this particular company because of a whole host of reasons. There's all kinds of different reasons that their profitability isn't there. If that profitability isn't there and we're there's not going to be an ability for them to pay a dividend because they didn't have profits to be able to have me share in those profits. So something like that, that's completely out of your control or anything that you know about. I mean, we can't determine whether or not that's going to happen. Now, that being said, Jeff, do I think that Apple is not going to pay a dividend every quarter this year? No, not no. at all. I have nothing on my radar that would ever suggest that I think that, but people didn't think that about BP before they had to do that as well. So those types of scenarios that we cannot predict or control... Yeah, they could cancel a dividend as a result of it. I've heard that one downside to investing in stocks for the dividends is an eventual cap on the returns. Is that true? Of course. I mean, you look at Apple. Apple's getting absolutely gargantuan. How much bigger can a company like Apple get? That's what I continue to wonder. I've wondered it for a couple of years, though. But you look over the last 30 years, this, this stock, how can it continue to increase at this rate? There's got to come a point where we hit a ceiling. Every company is going to be different, but someone like Apple, there's going to be a cap at some point. I don't think that we're going to see 30% annual return on that stock for the next 15 years. I think it's still going to be a good stock, but you know, you might start seeing more reasonable returns like 8, 10, 12, 15% instead of what it's experienced in the past. So we've talked about stocks. We've uh, talked a little bit about exchange traded funds. Could bonds be a source of dividend paying investments? 
Absolutely. And you can utilize municipal bonds if you're willing to take that risk as well so that you can generate some potential tax benefits inside of utilizing that bond. But yes, you put that money to work just like you would do inside of a, a particular stock or a preferred stock that you, you put money into that bond, but you're looking at that instead of an investment, you're looking at it as a debt instrument that you're financing debt. For instance, if you have a municipality that wants to purchase a specific anything. Let's say a uh, public school wants to give every single kid a computer, but they don't have the money for it. They could do a bond issue where they say, hey, you know what, Mr. And Mrs. Jones, go ahead and give us $100,000. We will pay you 5% or $5,000 per year. We'll give you $2,500 every six months for the next five years. At the end of that time frame, we'll give you your $100,000 back. That is a, definitely a way that you can put your money to work and generate some passive income. There's nothing else you have to do for it. You just put the money in, let them pay you every six months until the end of the term, and then they'll give you your money back. Absolutely a, a passive investment that you can utilize. And when I think of passive income, I think about such simple things as cash or certificates of deposit, money market accounts. They will give you some passive income, but it's usually pretty small, and especially when you subtract inflation. Yeah, money market accounts. We've seen a spike in the online savings and the money market accounts. I like that it is liquid to you, but you're not going to get really ahead. If we have 3% inflation and you're getting 4% in your money market or 5% in your money market, you subtract taxes. It's it's keeping up with inflation, but you're not getting that much more for it. I wouldn't put that much money in that particular type of an asset class just because it's not going to do that much for you. I'd put as much as you need for your emergency funds or or maybe a vacation fund or, or a car fund or things that I know that I'm probably going to need in the next six months. I'd keep it in there, but I wouldn't go beyond that. Talking about sources of passive income with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services. Grant, this is a big one I hear all the time. If I buy real estate, boy, this is going to be the ticket for me. That is truly passive income. And I want to talk about some of the reasons that it may not be passive income, especially if you're buying investment real estate in which you're an active landlord. I mean, really, there are so many hurdles to uh, getting that rent on time and so many hurdles to making what you think you're going to make with that, that active real estate really is not the way to go for a lot of folks, is it? Especially people in retirement age. Yeah, you're not looking at it as completely passive because there are still things that you need to do for it. Give you, for instance, I, I wanted to generate some passive income myself. I had some rental property here a few years ago, and, and I, it just got to be a point where I was too busy at my office. I couldn't deal with the day-to-day -day things, whether it be stuff with the renter or need the plumber or you need whatever it is. It doesn't really matter what it is. So I decided to hire a property management company. Well, the issue with that was I still had to field certain phone calls from the, the property management company. And then I still had to do certain things that the property manager couldn't do. So it wasn't completely passive in that sense. If you're going to be looking at real estate as a completely passive, like you put money into a bond and it just pays you every six months and you never have to really think about it until the end of the term when you got to figure out what to do with the money again, you're not going to be looking at just buying a rental property here in Omaha and having it be completely passive. 
passive. You can do that. You're going to still have something to do for it. If you're going to look for a completely passive investment that's going to pay you, you're going to be looking for real estate that's more like a real estate investment trust. Or if you already own property and you say, you know what, I, I don't want to be a, a landlord anymore, even though I have a property manager, I want to sell this property, but I don't want to pay the tax. In that scenario, you'd be looking more at something like a Delaware statutory trust where you could have it be completely passive and, and someone else completely manages it, does the day-to-day -day stuff, and you don't have to worry about it at all. That's more of your real estate that's going to be more passive than if you own one particular rental property here in Omaha, Nebraska. And I think that many of our listeners are going to be saying, well, I've got a friend who has uh, some real estate and he says he's making 10% on his real estate, when in reality, take a look at your tax return, Schedule E, bottom of the page here where you've got expenses. I mean, you're going to be subtracting things like you said. You may need a new roof. You may need the toilet fixed. Uh, people move out. You've got unexpected vacancies. You've got to rehab the apartment. Neighborhoods change. I mean, there are all sorts of things that go against what you think you're making. And many times that 10%, when you really boil it all down from an accountant standpoint, that 10% can come down to maybe one or 2%. And you've got to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And all real estate doesn't really increase dramatically in value too. It just depends upon where you are. So if you're thinking about treading into uh, real estate investing, tread carefully, do your due diligence. But I do want to talk about passive real estate insofar as REITs. Now, there are publicly traded REITs and there are privately traded REITs. What is the difference between those two? Yeah. So if you have a publicly traded REIT, I can go access that you know, on an exchange and I might be able to purchase it in uh, inside of our investment portfolio at Schwab. We can put money in there. It's going to pay out income into your Schwab account. If we had something like that, the way that it would look is it would pay into the, the investment account and, and maybe inside of that investment account, you know, maybe we reinvest it or maybe we disperse it to uh, the particular client. That's going to be your more publicly traded. If you have a privately held REIT, you're going to have some more risks because this is going to be more like your I'm just thinking that people will understand this better looking at a partnership or a limited partnership that they go into this with a, a certain expectation. It's going to be a much smaller organization. Uh, there's going to be just a lot less investors in it. So your risk, your perceived risk is going to be higher in the privately held realm, but your return is probably going to be a little bit higher as well. You know, that risk reward part. So looking at REITs, it's definitely a viable way that people could generate some retirement income, some passive income. If you're looking at the publicly traded REIT versus the privately held REIT, I would say you're going to have more of a passive nature in the publicly held one than the privately held just because of the nature of the size and the amount of members that are associated. And because of the times that we're living in, Grant, too, there are some unorthodox ways to make passive income. And I think about things such as creating an ebook or an app or something like that. Even on YouTube, I'll tell you this, I used to do mm -hmm. a television show many, 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 many years ago in which we restored cars on TV. And I think that that show is on YouTube these days and it still gets views and we still get income from that television show. I mean, people are making massive amounts of money on YouTube doing things such as unboxing toys. It is amazing. There are people who are whispering to you. I think they call it AMSR or something like that. So uh, let your imagination run wild as far as passive income goes. Grant, have you met people who can really make a living solely on passive income? 
Yeah, I've got plenty of people. I've, I've met a lot of people with plenty of money that they could just set it and forget it, whether it be from something that we haven't talked about, an alternative investment, like a, a structured note that's an income paying note through certain banks. I have met people actually, uh, one just popped into my head. Uh, they just didn't have a great need from the money that they had. Uh, they had seven figures that they had saved, but they had good pension, they had good social security, and I was bringing up different avenues for them. They were making about 1% on their money and they didn't really care about it. That's an area where, hey, they could just leave it in the bank, they could make their 1% that they were making, and it wasn't gonna affect them. They could be more efficient with the investment, but, but they absolutely could just live on the passive income. It's gonna pay them every single month for the rest of their life. It's gonna be more than satisfactory for their lifestyle and they're good to go. There's plenty of people out there like that for sure. Grant, I think based on our conversations today, I am willing to bet that some of our listeners will have some questions about passive income and getting their retirement plan done anyway. So if that is you, call this number right now, 281-0750 in the area code 402. 402-281-0750 and request your complimentary, no cost, no obligation, peace in retirement blueprint. Just a simple conversation between you and Grant to ask the questions that you need to put you on a path towards a confident retirement. Once again, it's not going to cost you a dime, but it could uncover some blind spots that when addressed may help you in your journey towards a retirement that could last 30 years. Once again, that telephone number, no cost, no obligation for this whatsoever, 402-281-0750. That's 402-281-0750. You can also request your plan online at dorhoutretirementservices.com. That's D-O-R-H-O-U-T, retirementservices.com. Want more straight talk and honest answers about your wealth management and retirement journey? Stay with us. There's more Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout here. We're back with more strategies for a successful retirement. This is the Retirement Blueprint. Once again, here's Grant Dorhout and Jeff Shea. Thanks so much for joining us here for the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout on News Talk 1290 Coil. We're having a great conversation today about peak 65, all of us that are turning 65 here in the year 2024, and about 4.1 million of those will be doing that up until the year of 2027. Grant, I want to talk about some uh, post-retirement risk that our listeners should know about. Once you plan for retirement, you get to retirement. It's really not all over with. There is financial planning and risk that you really have to be aware of once you get into retirement. Yeah, Jeff. I mean, there's all kinds of different risks that you have. Let's say if someone, first off, if they want to work part-time in retirement, how do you know that that job is going to be there? Or if it's even going to be possible, I'll give you a for instance. My dad, he when he retired and when they moved to town, well, he had been trucking for many years and he could keep that exact same job. Well, once he hit a certain age, well, then he needs to have different physicals and he has to have different expectations on what his health is and what his cognitive ability is. And so then all of a sudden he couldn't actually travel across state lines. He had, he could only stay inside of his borders. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it got to a point where, well, gosh, you know what? That's too many hours. Can I even do this job anymore? And there's all kinds of jobs where it's going to be more and more difficult for people. Now, if it's someone that's a greeter at Walmart, you're probably going to be able to do that for quite some time. But, mm -hmm. but really there is an employment risk if someone is going to try and supplement their retirement income with part-time work. 
Let's talk about longevity. I think that's probably one of the biggest risks that we have when we get into retirement is that, you know, we were talking off the air about Social Security being implemented in the 30s and, you know, you got it to 62, but you live till about 69 if you were lucky. These days, it's not uncommon at all for people to live to be 90 years of age. So you could have 30 years in retirement and making money spread out over 30 years. I would imagine that that is an ongoing job. It's not one of those set it and forget it things. Yeah, that longevity risk. I mean, it's it's a huge one. What if I live too long? And not only that, that longevity risk, I talk about this all the time with people. What if we're living and 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 we're still doing okay, but we need we just need some help because we can't perform two of the six activities of daily living and I really need someone to either come in my house or I need to live in an assisted living facility or if I unfortunately would have to be in a full-blown nursing care those types of things are all associated with longevity risk that you have to be able to to plan for to pay for those things or what if we just are the the couple that makes it to age 100 that's why I run every single person all the way out to age 100 because that's something that okay this would be something to be celebrated that's not feel bad about it because the money didn't last let's plan to live that long and if we don't live that long well then there's just some extra money for the kids but definitely longevity risk how long are we going to be here looking at life expectancy from our family but then going beyond that i've had plenty of people say well i'm checking out before i'm 80. well you, you don't, you don't really know that know that <laughs> right <laughs> so so yeah i mean we we have to plan and i prefer to plan all the way until age 100 and then show people what they need to do to make that funding work. Well, running out of money, of course, is one of the primary concerns of people getting into retirement who are already in retirement. Could a pension or an annuity maybe mitigate some of that risk, do you think? Oh, absolutely it does, because we're looking at trying to fund a complete plan. You're saying, you know what, I need X amount of dollars per month to make my house run. I need X amount of dollars more per month for me to do what I want to do. And then I and then I got to throw some travel on top of that. All of those things, you got to have more and more of a reliable income stream. And yes, a pension is out there or you can utilize an annuity, whether it's an index annuity or something like that, that is going to pay you every single month for as long as you're on this earth. Both of those things are very viable, much like Social Security, but you're not going to see typically on the pension or the annuity, you're not going to see as much of a reliable cost of living adjustment you'll see on a Social Security payment. And that's something that you can plan for as well. But those are definitely avenues that, that will be able to help you through retirement. We're talking about risk that you might face once you get into retirement with Grant Dorhout of Dorhout Retirement Services. Another one, Grant, that frequently happens is the change in marital status. When you're retired, I mean, there's divorce, there's separation, but also there's just the death of a spouse. Yeah, just that, that one Social Security check going away. Sometimes people say, well, the, the expense is going to go away as well for that spouse that is no longer around, that, that's no longer living well, what I've found is that if, if someone passes away, I don't see a huge drop-off. Some people think, well, it's, I'm going to have half the expense. They don't just all of a sudden say, well, we only need half the house tax or half the house insurance or, or, or I mean, I could keep filling right. in the blank. I see a lot of people when they lose a spouse, they actually get a little more active, especially in the next two, three, four years. They do more things with their kids. Well, what if their kids live in Seattle and in Pittsburgh? Right. Well, if we're going to do more things with them and we live here in Omaha, Nebraska, well, that's going to be more travel expense. And then when you're there, you want to do things with the grandkids. And when you're there with your kids, you want to pay for dinner. 
And, and so we see that expense not actually dropping off as much as you would think. And so, yes, if that Social Security check goes away, you have to have a way to replace it in a reliable way. And I think one of the biggest risks that, uh, and especially that I think about getting into retirement, is going to be paying for health care and particularly long-term care. I mean, if you retire at 65, most people have a certain level of health. We call those the go-go years where, you know, they're getting out and doing all the things that they wanted to do. Then they maybe get into their 70s and, you know, they're still doing some things, but they're doing them a little bit slower. Then when you get into your no-go years, mostly you're just going to the doctor. So there are different phases of retirement insofar as health care needs go. And I think the big thing, as I said, that I'm thinking about is how to pay for long-term care. Do you have any suggestions about that? We were just discussing this with several people this week that when I discuss long-term care, almost everyone in their mind thinks nursing home. We go beyond that. Well, who wants to go to a nursing home? No one. And I get that. I refer back to my mom years ago. They had just moved into town. This is about 17, 18 years ago. And I was having the discussion about long-term care. They were in their mid-60s. And, and I was just discussing with them how they were going to pay for it because they didn't have any long-term care insurance. And I asked my mom what she thought. And she said, I don't care because I'm not going. And, and, <laughs> okay. and I think a lot of people are thinking that. And I don't want to see my mom in a nursing home. But what she saw in her mind was her mom that we saw, my grandma Alice. She spent mm -hmm. about three years in a nursing home. And yes, that wasn't that fun going to the nursing home. But I think what my mom, in her mind, she wasn't so concerned about the money, about paying for it. She was really concerned, and I think most people are, just making sure that the standard of care is what we really see needing at the end of life issues. So how can we do that? By the way, I'm not a big fan of utilizing traditional long-term care insurance where you pay every single month and then if you don't use it, which is what we all want, then there's no payout for your beneficiaries. There's no way for me to guarantee the premium or guarantee what the payout is gonna be. So I'm gonna to tend to look at what's called an asset-based long-term care plan, where if you live long enough to need it, it's gonna pay. It may not pay for 100% of the bills, that depends on how big of a coverage you actually purchase. But if you live, it'll pay. If you pass away, there's a death benefit uh, that your kids or whoever you deem needs this money is gonna get tax-free. And then if you want to quit years down the road, maybe five years down the road, you say, you know what, I don't want that anymore. I want to take a cruise around the world. Then it'll give you your money back. So live, die, or quit, there's a viable option for people in the long-term care realm. And I would highly recommend that you don't have the attitude that, well, it's just not going to happen to me. Because when an individual reaches age 65, there's approximately a 70% chance that you'll utilize long-term care in some way, shape, or form. And your monthly expense, your monthly need is going to go way up. So you have to plan for how you're going to pay for that. And I think there's a big misconception out there too, Grant, that Medicare or Medicaid will pay for long-term care. So let's set the record mm -hmm. straight right now. Medicare does not pay for long-term care, does it? No, it pays for short-term rehabilitative services. You're looking at more like under 100 days. That's when you can qualify for Medicare. You might not even qualify past 20 days, though, mm -hmm. quite frankly. So looking at anything long-term, you're going to have to have some outside funding, whether it be your investments or some type of plan that you put together for yourself to be able to pay for those expenses when they do arise. What would cause somebody to qualify for having Medicaid pay for long-term care? 
Yeah, so that depends on if you have a surviving spouse that's at home. If you have a spouse that's at home, they're able to keep one house, they're able to keep a car, they're able to keep a certain amount of cash on hand yet, but they can't keep millions of dollars. Beyond that, those assets are going to have to be spent down. If there is no spouse at home, well, then you're going to be in the scenario where you basically have no assets, almost no assets in your name and then the state will pay. For instance, if I have someone that has $250,000, whether it be in real estate or whether it be in investments or in annuities or anything, uh, if they have $250,000, if they apply for Title 19 Medicaid, there's a very high likelihood that that application is going to get denied because they say, well, why would the state pay if you have assets to pay? There's going to have to be a specific reason why that would be allowed. It's going to be very rare that you're going to see a Title 19 Medicaid application approved if someone has any sizable amount of money. You have to basically spend everything down, then Medicaid will pay. And if you look at what they're going to pay, it's not going to pay 100% of what the bill was when someone was private pay or if they had insurance paying for it. So looking at Medicaid wings or Medicare wings or private pay wings in nursing homes, you're going to see different services that are given to the private pay versus someone that's on Medicaid. Strictly from a business standpoint, that's just the way that it works at a nursing home because Medicaid, it's the state paying. They're just going to pay less. And don't think about divesting your assets this year and then going into long-term care next year, going into a nursing home, because Medicaid does have a 60-month or a five-year look back on that. So consider that. We're talking about retirement risks once you get into retirement. The final one here that I want to talk about on today's show, Grant, and there are many, many others that we could talk about, but that is going to be inflation. Nobody knows what inflation is going to do. And boy, if you're retiring into an environment in which there was double-digit inflation, that was going to be hard to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. I had someone, I believe it was last year, he just sticks in my head, where we were meeting initially and I was saying we have to plan for inflation because he had a pension that wasn't going to increase and Social Security is going to increase a little bit and we were going through what his income need was going to be and he was shocked at what I thought it was going to be 15 years from now. He said, you know what, I don't think we need to plan for inflation. I'll just adjust my lifestyle to fit what things cost at that time. And I had to tell him, this gentleman, I said, <laughs> well, you can try and do that, but I'd rather not put you in a situation for your retirement where you can only eat rice and beans or beans yeah. and rice, as I've heard Dave Ramsey say many times. That type of scenario, that's not an enjoyable retirement where we're thriving in <laughs> retirement, where we're actually having yeah. a peace in retirement scenario. This is something that that'd be a stressful thing. So let's plan for inflation. You have to plan for inflation. If you don't, you're going to be disappointed when you get later on in your retirement. Yeah, and I had to chuckle there because Dave Ramsey is really a, the ultimate marketer. And I was just thinking, Dave <laughs> should endorse. He should come out with his own brand of Dave Ramsey beans and Dave Ramsey rice. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> he could sell that to all the people who want to be debt free. <laughs> we've been talking with Grant Dorhout, Dorhout Retirement Services, and we've been talking about peak 65 on today's program. All of us that are reaching age 65 here in 2024 and record numbers of those people will be reaching 65 all the way up until uh, the year 2027. If you're one of those folks and you're interested in a retirement plan that's going to get you to retirement, you want to have a retirement in which you not only survive, but you thrive. 
I want you to give Grant Doorhout a call there at Doorhout Retirement Services. That number is 402-281-0750. Now, when you call, you'll be requesting your Peace in Retirement Blueprint. It's not going to cost you a dime. What are you waiting for? Make that call this weekend while you're thinking about it. Call 402-281-0750. Leave your name and your telephone number. You'll get a call back next week to set up an appointment with Grant. And once again, I want to point out that the person you hear on the radio is the person that you're going to be speaking with at Doorhout Retirement Services. Also, you don't have to wait months to get in to see Grant. He'll probably have an appointment for you within a week or two. So what are you waiting for? Why not make that call so that you can get on the path towards a confident retirement? Once again, that number 402-281-0750, 402-281-0750. You can also request your plan online at doorhoutretirementservices.com. Grant, out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time, but most of all, certainly, I want to thank our fine listeners here in the Omaha area for joining us. For Grant Doorhout, I'm Jeff Shade. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week with another edition of the Retirement Blueprint right here on News Talk 1290, COIL. The opinions voiced in the Retirement Blueprint with Grant Dorhout are for general information and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Examples provided are hypothetical and for illustrative purposes only. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. Investing in an alternative investment may only be suitable for persons who are able to assume the risk of losing a portion or all of their entire investment. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial, or tax advisor prior to investing. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. The performance of any index is not indicative of the performance of any investment and does not consider the effects of inflation and the fees and expenses associated with investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Jeff Shade and show guests are not affiliated with CWM LLC.